episodes that will uh, trigger people who really like to argue or fight about eschatology uh, that is the study of end times because people believe so many different things about eschatology or what's going to happen in the future um, all i want to do here is exposit the text i've been working through matthew's gospel for some time now this is going to be my 119th uh, episode i guess you could call it uh, expositing matthew's gospel uh, verse by verse uh, and here Jesus gets at some eschatological things. And I want to make it known up front. Uh, I am not saying anything uh, about a quote-unquote millennial kingdom or a quote-unquote 1,000-year reign. Uh, I know that there are people who are going to read that into what I'm saying or mishear what I'm saying. But, but please know, all I want to do is exposit the text and i think it is silly uh, when people argue about a millennial kingdom or a one thousand year kingdom because no matter what we believe about that we believe that jesus is king currently we believe that he is lord of lords uh, we believe that he is king of kings we believe that all authority in heaven and on earth was given to him which is what matthew is building up to that statement all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go make disciples like that's what matthew's building up to um, and this part of the story when jesus has been betrayed and he is before this illegal court uh, brings out a lot of information that's important for us to understand and how he fulfills the old testament prophets now, the theme of Matthew's gospel is the kingdom of heaven. From the start, Jesus' message has been that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus revealed that the hour was finally here. It was time for the kingdom of heaven to finally be established. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, we see a transition from the kingdom of heaven being near to the kingdom of heaven being here. And Jesus is now on trial. Uh, this is an illegal trial, and he's before the high priest named Caiaphas. Matthew chapter 26, verses 57 through 68 says, Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest. There the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat with the officers to see the outcome. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus, so that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward, but later on two came forward and said, This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God, and to rebuild it in three days. Now the high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. 
What further need do we have of witness? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists. And the others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hits you. Now, through this high priest's insults and interrogation, Jesus largely remains silent. Fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, written 700 years before Jesus, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. Now, after the high priest struggles to hire false witnesses, he is finally able to conjure two of them. They accuse Jesus of saying, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Jesus remained silent at their accusation, but I want to observe the record. In John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus did indeed say something like this, but it carried a much different connotation. In John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Now, this was Jesus' answer when the people asked for a sign that he had authority to stop the unlawful business transactions taking place in the temple complex. Notice that the false witnesses at the trial bore false testimony about Jesus, misquoting him. Jesus did not say that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it. He was speaking as if the people destroyed the temple. Then he would rebuild it in three days. Further, Jesus was speaking in symbolic language, not literalistic language. Yet, evil people do what evil people do, taking an element of what Jesus said and twisting it to their own ends. The people would destroy the temple Jesus spoke of, his body, and he would rebuild it within three days. And he will. He will raise from the dead on the third day. In John 2, Jesus draws attention to his future death and resurrection. The high priest understands this claim because he interprets it as a claim to the position of Christ, the Son of God. He's just being scurvy. Jesus answers, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And Jesus' statement is one of the more profound in Matthew's Gospel. It is the only line attributed to Jesus in this particular interrogation. In it, Jesus quotes from two Old Testament passages. First, from Psalm 110. In the, verse, uh, in the first verse of Psalm 110, David writes, or he sings, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Who is David's Lord? Yahweh says to David's Lord, who can only be identified as another person of God. And I believe this to be the pre-incarnate Christ. You can see that in Matthew chapter 22, verse 44. Uh, here we have the Father speaking to Jesus in the Old Testament. 
Jesus is referring to this Trinitarian relationship as he stands before Caiaphas. Further, Jesus is claiming that Psalm 110 verse 1 will be fulfilled hereafter or from now on. Jesus is about to take his place at the right hand of the Father, the Lord to whom Yahweh spoke in David's presence. So Jesus claims to be God and Lord. He also provides a timing for his ascension to the right hand of the Father, hereafter, or from now on. In the second portion of his response, Jesus quotes from the prophet Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel prophesied concerning four great beasts. The last beast had ten horns, similar to the beast in Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, and chapter 13, verse 1. Daniel then prophesies concerning the opening of the same book we see in Revelation chapter 12. As the books are open, the beast is slain. And after this, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, I kept looking. In the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. And all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed." In the interpretation of this vision, which is provided in Daniel chapter 7, verses 15 through 28, it is said that after the kingdom represented by the fourth beast will lose its dominion, at which time the saints who are on the earth will take possession of every kingdom. Now, Jesus is telling Caiaphas that Daniel's prophecy is being fulfilled. From that point forward, hereafter, or from now on, the moment Jesus is saying this, you, in the plural form, referring to everyone present at Jesus' interrogation, from this moment forward you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. It wasn't referring to one event, it was referring to a new way of things, a paradigm shift. From this moment forward you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is no longer near. It is here. He is taking every worldly kingdom as his own possession, as an inheritance for his saints. We are reaching the climax of the story. Upon his death and resurrection, Jesus will be given all authority in heaven and on earth. He will sit at the right hand of the Father, and upon his death and resurrection, he will be coming in the clouds, having slain Daniel's ten-horned beast. Daniel foretold the saints taking possession of worldly kingdoms saving them rather than being their physical end. It is generally agreed that Daniel's fourth beast signifies Rome. A Rome will not physically be destroyed upon the death and resurrection of Christ, but instead it will not take long to become inundated with Christians, just as Daniel predicts in chapter 7 of his prophecy. Jesus is finishing the work at Calvary, the kingdom of heaven is here. Then, like it says in Psalm 110, which Jesus also quotes from, Jesus will sit at the right hand of the Father, reigning until all of his enemies are his footstool. From now on, as he is before Caiaphas, from now on, Jesus will reign, putting his enemies under his feet. And once that work is done, he will stop reigning 
according to Psalm 110, verse 1. Now, since all of his enemies, or once all of his enemies, are under his feet, Jesus will at that time hand the kingdom over to the Father. And we can read about this in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 and 25. Paul writes, Then comes the end, when he, that's Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God, to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. According to his own words, Jesus begins to reign around the time of his death and resurrection here in Matthew 26. I refer to this reign as the federal reign of Christ because he obviously has always had all divine authority as God. Jesus quotes Psalm 110 and Daniel 7 to prove it. And Paul agrees with Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. And John recounts the exact visions and the symbols from Daniel's prophecy in his revelation. The Bible is coherent. Matthew will drive his point home. The Old Testament prophecies are true. The kingdom of heaven is here, just like the Old Testament prophets foretold. We finally have our Messiah. We finally have our forever King of Kings. And in reaction to Jesus' bold claim during this illegal interrogation, we can understand why Caiaphas tore his robe and accused Jesus of blasphemy. The people spat on Jesus and beat him. They began mocking him, unwittingly proving that Jesus is truly the Messiah according to Isaiah 53. And Jesus, Jesus lets it happen. His Crucifixion is the necessary atonement for the establishing of his own kingdom and authority. By his crucifixion, he purchases humankind, redeeming her from death. And what does this mean for us today? Well, I don't think we should make a big deal if someone disagrees with the eschatological truths that this passage may be interpreted to reveal, right? Uh, I have not here mentioned anything about a millennial reign or a 1,000-year period. I know that there are some reading into my words what is not there. And that is perfectly okay. I, I understand the temptation to do that. I don't feel pressed to persuade you concerning future events, and I'm not sure Jesus is pleased when we argue about what may happen in our futures anyway. We know for sure that Jesus currently reigns. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and that means He has all authority in heaven and on earth. So, we go boldly and serve Him, knowing that He has the authority to bring the story to its right and just resolution. And upon His bodily return, we will all celebrate, no matter our quote-unquote millennial views. So let's go. Let's make disciples of all nations. Let's read the Bible. Let's know Christ. Let's know the Father. And let's, let's represent Him well in this world's current affairs.